Welcome back to Throwing Hands. Uh, alongside me is Daniel Woods, per usual. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jacob. How about yourself? We're, I'm chilling. But we're going to talk about, before we get into fight night, uh, Felder versus Dos Anjos, we're going to talk about this, uh, this debacle with the Athletic State, uh, <laughs> Nevada State Athletic Commission. Before the Terrence Crawford-Kell Brook fight, uh, there was a super flyweight uh, title fight, uh, boxing divisions. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you how they're they're formed or whatnot, but uh, Andrew Maloney jabbed Josh Lefranco in the eye, but they said it was a headbutt. So after the second round, they stopped. They called off the fight because uh, Franco's eye was completely swollen shut, and they reviewed for 26 minutes to find a headbutt, which there was none. If anything, there was a headbutt on the other side of his head, but they called it a no contest. Uh, kind of screwing it. Uh, Maloney because he won that fight fair and square in my opinion and it's really sad honestly so what what were your thoughts yeah, this is a complete disaster uh, when it comes to any kind of instant replay uh, in in combat sports to be completely honest we've seen in other sports particularly European soccer where it's just become a problem where uh, so many people try to follow the letter of the law when it comes to instant replay with you know, offsides penalties in in European soccer and really American soccer as well, uh, but this is this is a whole new level where they spend 26 minutes reviewing to try to find a head, but they don't find one. Yet they still rule it in a no contest. It just it doesn't make sense to me because Andrew Maloney, uh, you know, Franco's eye swole shut because he got punched in the eye by Andrew Maloney. That's how boxing works. So. It should have been a TKO uh, in in favor of Andrew Maloney in this case, as as Franco wasn't able to continue. Uh, but there there wasn't a headbutt in this fight, and you see you see the tweet uh, from ESPN ringside from Tim Bradley Jr. You know it says I've been involved in many headbutts and I've never seen that happen. And, and you know when you've got professionals of that level saying you can tell by the way things happened in the ring that there was no headbutt and you have guys that are professional officials that are supposed to be looking at this. It's extremely concerning because there have been concerns with, with boxing when it comes to scoring and when it comes to officiating over the last couple of years. And this is not encouraging in any way when it comes to that. Yeah. And especially because boxing's I, I, I think boxing when it comes to its popularity is on the decline, uh, in America, at least, not in uh, Europe, because boxing is huge in Europe. But this is not something you want to see if you're a boxing fan, because this just becomes extremely unappealing. You know, they they reviewed the whole situation for 26 minutes, and apparently they found nothing. They they reviewed the first two rounds completely, and they found nothing, and which which boggles my mind because it, in every way it showed that there was no headbutt. 
and Maloney should have gotten his TKO and he should have gotten his title back. But the Nevada State Athletic Commission really, really screwed it up here. I don't think there's really any other way to call it. What do you think? Yeah, this is a bad look for the Nevada State Athletic Commission. It's it's a very obvious screw up. It's one that a lot of people are pointing out, and it's something they're going to have to address because this is a really bad situation. As you said, as a title fight, and Andrew Maloney ends up getting screwed over for something that he didn't do, for something that they should have seen when reviewing that he didn't do. But they completely disregarded that, continued to rule it as a no contest, and it's uh, it's not good. It's 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 a really bad look. Yeah. So. We're gonna we're gonna switch over to MMA, but you gotta feel for Maloney. But two young women to start off the main card: Kay Hansen versus Corey McKenna. Uh, if you heard me on uh, what was it um, the six a.m. lift this morning, I didn't think Corey McKenna deserved an, uh, a contract from the UFC, but boy was I wrong. She performed uh, her heart out. You can't really deny that. She, you know when Kay Hansen took her to the ground, she. She worked more off the back than Kay Hansen worked on top. She, she just simply worked more. Yeah, she landed less significant strikes, but she nearly doubled the output of Kay Hansen when it comes to total strikes. What were your thoughts on this one? Holy freaking volume, dude. I didn't realize it until uh, really seeing the post-fight stats. 156 total strikes for Corey McKenna out of 246 attempted in this fight to 87 out of 131 for Kay Hansen, as you said. Uh, 10 more significant for, for Kay Hansen in this fight. But still, the fact that McKenna was able to fill this fight up so much uh, with strikes I thought was really impressive. Again, somebody in Kay Hansen that was considered a very high-level prospect coming into the UFC, somebody that can make an immediate jump once she hit the octagon. But uh, Corey McKenna comes in, stops her in this one uh, with a, with a three-round decision. A very impressive performance. Uh, like I said, a ridiculous amount of strikes thrown and a ridiculous amount of strikes landed in this fight for Corey McKenna. Uh, when this fight did go to the ground, it went to the ground twice. Kay Hansen landing two of her five takedown attempts. Uh, McKenna, like you said, was very active off the back, something that really impressed me and something that I think is going to serve her well moving forward after this win. Definitely. So these two are 115 pounds. Let's talk about sex for Kay Hansen. I think she gets another prospect level uh, girl. I mean, she did uh, show up against Jin Yu Fry a, a couple months ago. So she definitely can't compete with uh, – Upper, more upper tier uh, talent. I mean, Kay Hansen is 21. She's still very good. What do you think's next for her? Yeah, I would agree. She gets another similar level prospect, whether it's somebody coming off of the uh, coming off the contender series or somebody they signed straight up. Uh, this is kind of a trial period for her figuring out what exactly the UFC has in her. Like I said, she was very well regarded coming in, and like you said, she's just 21 years old. Definitely. And then when we talk about Corey McKenna, she's 21 too. Uh, I think she obviously gets a higher level uh, of uh, what you might call uh, co competition. Sorry, my, my brain wasn't working there. It's it's about 7 a.m. But I think I think we could see her get uh, some upper level content. What do you uh, – not content, competition. What do you have to say? I think she takes a step forward here. I think she was, uh, she was legitimately uh, the winner of this fight. Kay Hansen uh, quibbled, said she thought she won a couple of those rounds. Uh, but – Still, a solid win for Corey McKenna. Like you said, not necessarily somebody that looked like they should have got a contract off the Contender Series, but Dana White saw something in her. She proved it here. And because of that, I don't think she takes a huge step forward, but I think she does get a step up in competition. Yeah, I don't think she's ready for the gatekeeper like Ronda Marcus yet, but she, after that, after her next fight, she wins that, I think she gets up there. All right, 
to the next fight. Uh, Brendan Allen versus Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland coming in on short notice. They fought at a catch weight of 195, if I'm not mistaken. And Sean Strickland, boy, does he have heavy hands. I was <laughs> that it was a very impressive TKO from Sean Strickland, especially coming after two weeks after his last win. So, you know, he's coming off a weight cut still, but dang, I, I was impressed by Sean Strickland. But Brendan Allen's still a hot prospect, in my opinion. What were your thoughts on this? Yeah, these are two guys with some solid futures in front of them. Brendan Allen, obviously, uh, very well regarded. He takes the loss here. Uh, gets doubled up in terms of total strikes uh, by Sean Strickland, who was extremely impressive. You talked about his power. There was a ton of volume that came with it, too. 106 strikes that he landed in just, you know, a minute 33 in the second round uh, when he knocked Brendan Allen out. That's extremely impressive. 94 significant strikes. Uh, he threw 161 strikes that were considered potentially significant landing, landing excuse me, 94 of them. Uh, that's that's ridiculous volume and it's ridiculous uh, power coming down on somebody like Brendan Allen. Uh, there's not a lot you can do to stand up to that. Uh, Sean Strickland, obviously, like you said, uh, not super affected by that two-week weight cut as he was able to just kind of beat Brendan Allen up uh, for for just on just over excuse me just over a full round and knock him out a minute 33 into the second. A very impressive performance, particularly on a short turnaround. Definitely. So when we talk about Brendan Allen, what's next for him? Personally, I think a, a, not someone coming off the contender series, but someone a couple fights in. I think if he's a middleweight, if I'm remembering correctly. So I think uh, I think depending on whether uh, someone like Marquez wins in a few weeks when he gets when he fights again, or someone like uh, what's his face Eric Anders. I think that's something. What's, what would be next for Brendan Allen? What do you have to say? Yeah, I think so. I think Brendan Allen gets somebody legitimate once again. And I think he he's somebody they need to bring along, not necessarily slowly, uh, but somebody they need to bring along uh, with the opportunity uh, to, to pick up a couple solid wins uh, before really moving up in the rankings. And I think uh, the guys you outlined there, uh, he has the opportunity to do just that. For sure. All right. And Sean Strickland, who knows? I, th I mean, he's been performing very well as of late. I think – you could potentially see him uh, maybe even get something, someone like a 15 spot. I, it's it's tough to see, but what do you have to say? Uh, I think so. I think Sean Strickland uh, has performed very well the last couple of uh, fights we've seen him in, uh, both, of course, coming in the last two weeks. And I think uh, he's got a legitimate chance to make something happen here. For sure. All right. To uh, the next event. Uh, the uh, This was – what the heck? This was a little boring. But uh, Ashley Yoder just doing what she has to do to get it done. I think, I mean, to only 26 significant strikes compared to Granger's 33, but she outlanded Granger by, ooh, come on, math, uh, 64, if I'm not mistaken. I, yes, I think I got that right. But in total strikes, 151 to 87. Uh, impressive performance. You know, she's, seven, she's eight and six right now. What do you have to say about uh, this fight? Uh, that's kind of the story of Ashley Yoder's career uh, when she's picked up wins. It's just been her doing what she needed to uh, to knock off her opponents, and she did it here again. Uh, like you said, a very vo high-volume uh, striker. I think that's something we saw all night was high-volume strikers having success. Ashley Yoder landed 82% of 184 strikes thrown, which is uh, you know something very impressive uh, for somebody at, at her level and at her, her standing Excuse me, uh, within the UFC. Uh, again, only 26 of them ended up being significant. 
but this was a very points-filled night, and I think that's where we saw Ashley Yoder win this fight as well. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider her – I wasn't, like, amazed by her performance, but like, like you said, she just does what she needs to do in there. She doesn't try to go in and put on a show. She's not um, Sean O'Malley or someone like that. She just – she goes in there and does her business, and I think that's a great way to describe her. All right. What's next with these fighters? Miranda Granger is kind of tough to tell, in my opinion. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, prospect off the contender series, I think. What do you have to say? I think so. I think Miranda Granger gets somebody in that realm as well. This was not. Uh, this was an interesting fight in terms of numbers. I think Ashley Yoder won it. She gr- kind of grinded this one out. But Miranda Granger still has a place on the roster by far. Yeah, she does. And when we talk about Yoder, she's only won um, – uh, two of the last four and uh, three of the last five and uh, three of the last six with losses to Dern, uh, uh, Marcos, and Souza. But she, it's, she's in an – I think she's a gatekeeper for these prospects coming up. I think that's a solid place for her on this roster, and I think that's where she'll stay on this roster unless she shows us something. What do you have to say? Yeah, I think so. I don't see much changing. Uh, she gets them up and comers. Uh, she's sort of a stiff first test for them, and from there, you see what happens. But I, like I said, like I said, I think she kind of sticks around where she is now. Definitely. All right, to the co-main event. Not much to talk about here, but woo, Chaos Williams. You know, he he hits you with hits you with a couple leg kicks, faints, and boom, straight right hand. And Abdul Razak Al Hassan was out on the ground. Uh, he was out on the ground for a while. Uh, you know, he, he Al-Hassan Al-Hassan. So what do you have to say about Chaos's uh, knockout? Yeah, there's not much to say about it. Just a just straight right directly in the face. And it put down uh, Al-Hassan in 31 seconds. Uh, Williams looked very athletic, looked very powerful. And he comes right in and finishes Al-Hassan extremely quickly. Uh, came in as a plus 175 underdog. So, not a huge, uh, not a huge split in terms of odds here, but uh, still a big win for the underdog Chaos Williams, and it did it in a very impressive play. Uh, just like, like I said, right directly on the nose, and he flattens Alasan with that one. So uh, you know, as impressive, I wouldn't say necessarily as impressive of a knockout as we've seen in the UFC this year, but it's certainly up there with just how much power he threw into that one. Definitely. Uh, so we're going to talk about. Uh... Uh, what's next for these guys? Uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan. He's 35. He's getting older, so he he's kind of getting to that gatekeeper age unless he shows something. So I don't really. It's tough to tell for me. He, he's it's a tough look. What do you have to say? Yeah, I think so. This is uh, an interesting an interesting time uh, for Al Hassan because he's he's got talent. It's obvious he's got talent, uh, but he got beat up pretty good in this fight. Obviously. So I wouldn't expect him to have taken a ton of damage. So unless he unless he has some major injuries, I would expect to see him in the octagon again soon to try to get back on track. I'm just not sure where that would be or who it would be against. Yeah, really. But when we talk about Cass Williams, uh, we're talking to his publicist right now. We might get him on quite soon, so uh, look out for that. But um, Chaos, um, I think he deserves somebody ranked. I don't think there's – he's been on a streak as of late. I think maybe we could see him get Robbie Lawler, honestly. I think that's the fight to make. Uh, you know, the new guy coming in, it's kind of like – it's a gatekeeper situation. What do you have to say? Yeah, I think so. I think we we definitely see Chaos Williams get a shot here. Uh, stepping up, I'm not sure who it would be. 
but I think we see him legitimately uh, get a chance in this welterweight division uh, that does does need a little bit of an injection of talent into it. I think he's got a chance to do that. Uh, he was obviously very impressive on Saturday. I think the UFC gives him a chance moving forward. Absolutely. All right, to the main event of the evening, Paul Felder coming in on five days' notice, not having stepped having uh he hasn't he hadn't stepped into a gym uh for four months before this fight he, he said the only training he had training camp he had was some pad work and his uh triathlon training so his cardio held up fairly well it's not the same thing but when we talk about walmart freddie mercury over here and rafael dos anjos i mean he 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 put on a show that he needed to uh you know he's preparing for a wrestler in makachev uh his his name I think that's it but and he landed six takedowns he held a lot of ground control he did what he had to do to win this fight what were your thoughts on this fight uh yeah this was an interesting one I think just on just one there was some question uh, to whether Paul Felder may have taken this one in a split decision but it does go to Dos Anjos I think that's probably the legitimate decision that you see coming out of this fight you know Felder was was ruled with more more significant strikes but uh, in terms of total strikes, Dos Anjos uh, landed more and was more efficient in his striking as well, landing two-thirds uh, of his 231 uh, to end up with 155 total. But it was those six takedowns that I think made the difference in terms of points. I, I think when this fight ended up going to a decision is when you knew Rafael Dos Anjos had won. Uh, six, six takedowns to just one for Paul Felder. Uh, like you said, Dos Anjos was looking to get back on track was moving back into this division and I think he did everything he needed to to be considered a legitimate contender uh, moving back into into the division that he once won a championship at in the lightweight division so uh, a solid return uh, for for Dos Anjos and I think Paul Felder has nothing to hang his head about like you said hadn't had any kind of training in four months comes in on six days notice and takes Dos Anjos to a to a to a split decision here so if Paul Felder wants to keep keep sticking it out in the octagon then uh, so be it. But I think he can he can move on uh, from at least this chapter right now, not hanging his head by any means. Yeah, by no means, like you said. So when we talk about how – what's next? For, let's talk about what's next for Paul Felder. Um, I think we have to see how this uh, division shakes out a little bit. Maybe we can see him fight Kevin Lee because he's not going to stay at seven. He's probably going to fall down a couple spots. But I think Kevin Lee is a solid matchup for him. Maybe even uh, Gregor Gillespie. What do you have to say? Yeah, there's certainly a place for Paul Felder to pick up somebody else in the top fifty. I think Kevin Lee is a very interesting proposition. Or Gillespie, either one of those uh, would be solid fights. Either one of those guys uh, have have some pretty serious experience and are looking for somebody uh, that they can take on to try to move up in the rankings. So Kevin Lee, Gregor Gillespie, I think both would be uh, would be solid matchups. Definitely. Oh, excuse me, guys. Uh, but when we talk about uh, RDA, uh, I think. I think Dan Hooker's the fight to make, in my opinion. Um, he, I, I think he, he's available. Or uh, Tony Ferguson wants to fight Michael Chandler. Justin Gaethje just fought. Uh, Poirier and McGregor are going to fight. Uh, Charles Oliveira, I don't know what his situation is in Brazil, but I think Hooker's the fight to make. I think that's fireworks. I, I watched that fight in a heartbeat. What do you have to say? Yeah, so I think that's potentially what you'll see next uh, with uh, – with Hafez Sanyos taking on Dan Hooker, I think that is a step up, uh, but I think it's one he's ready for. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Dos Anjos, after the fight, called out Conor McGregor, which hopefully we're not getting back to the days of every fighter who is even remotely close to Conor McGregor in weight, calling him out after a fight. 
but nonetheless, that's what we saw uh, out of out of Rafael dos Anjos. Uh, they were scheduled to fight uh, several years ago. It ended up not happening. Uh, and Justin Poirier and McGregor are obviously uh, going to go at it at UFC 257 for the for the vacant title in the main event, uh, January 23rd. Uh, so uh, could we get Dos Anjos McGregor further down the line? Uh, potentially. Uh, that was scheduled to happen back in 2016 when Dos Anjos already – when Dos Anjos, excuse me, was holding uh, the lightweight title, and it obviously uh, never happened. There was some very intense press, uh, but Dos Anjos bowed out of that fight after breaking his foot. So uh, I would like to see at some point – uh, Conor McGregor versus Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the next fight for either guy, obviously, uh, with McGregor set to take on Dustin Poirier for the title. Uh, but I think if uh, if Dos Anjos can pick up another win, that's certainly a fight that would make a lot of money and certainly one that would be very interesting as a main event. Uh, well said there, Daniel. I'm not even going to add anything to that. But let, let's talk about some news. There's, there's lots to talk about. Uh, ESPN released their list of the top 25 under 25 Kroot is number one, uh, Shabazian is number two, and at number three is Song Yadong, and then four Pico, five Allen, uh, six Barber. You know, the list keeps going on and on. Uh, when it comes to podcasts, people use the law as rank 21. Uh, Kay Hansen at 14. Not, lots of uh, very – a couple of Nurmagomedovs, but lots of very good prospects. What, I don't know if you saw the list, but what were your thoughts? And Sage North cut at 25. I think it's a pretty solid list. The fact that Sage Northcutt's still under the age of 25 is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Jimmy Crude at number one is, uh, uh, I think, very legitimate. He's looked very good this year, uh, has been very impressive on his way up. Uh, and I think it's another testament to, to what's coming out of coming out of uh, Australia and New Zealand in the world of mixed martial arts. You've obviously got a couple champions in Israel, Lada Sanya and uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. And now you've got potentially the top prospect in the sport as well. So I think him taking a step forward, jumping up into that number one spot is legitimate. He looked so good back in October against Modestus Bukowskis. And I think he's got a legitimate shot uh, to keep moving up through the rest of 2020 and into, uh, into 2021. And then Edmund Shabazian and number two, I think is legitimate as well. Uh, obviously came up as a protege of Ronda Rousey in that same kind of, in that same, uh, excuse me, uh, training program. I think he's got a huge future at 185 at middleweight. Uh, he's obviously lost his last fight to Derek Brunston, kind of got pushed to that main event level, maybe a little bit too quickly. Uh, so Shabazian at 11-1 and one has a chance to, uh, to make some things happen. Uh, but as you continue through the top 25, I mean, you have Brendan Allen, who fought this past, uh, fought this past Saturday, coming in at number five. Uh, Macy Barber has been around for quite a while, coming off an injury now, uh, looking to get back into the octagon. Um, like you said, a couple of Nurmagomedovs, the highest rank there being Umar. Uh, it's, it's a solid list. It's a legitimate list, I think. And I think uh, it just goes to show uh, the, depth of, the depth of talent in, in the UFC and even outside of it uh, because of the, the level of guys you've got in Bellator and the level of guys you've got even, even on regional circuits that are getting picked up for this top 25 list. I think it's, uh, it's very interesting uh, to see where certain people are being put see where pe certain people are ranked over top of one another based on promotion. Uh, so there's, uh, there's some very talented fighters here. Jim, Jimmy Crude, I think, is legitimate number one. Edmund Shabazzian, I think, is a legitimate number two. You can quibble the further down you go, but I think this is a very solid top 25. Definitely. I, I think 
there's a lot of potential on that list. So I'm excited to see how they turn out in the next four or five years. Uh, to some news, uh, Verduma's side, signed with the PFL, citing that he wants to fight four or five times a year. I don't think that's a good idea if you're 41 like he is. But, hey, I'm, well, he's more than 41. He's like 44. But, hey, uh, good on Verdum. What, what, what were your thoughts when you saw this? I'm convinced that Fabrizio Verdum wants to die in a cage after seeing this. <laughs> because if, if you're 43 years old and you're looking to fight, you know, four to five times a year, that's just – that's not healthy. That's, that's not a healthy mindset. This man's fought professionally 34 times, and he wants to fight four to five times a year at the age of 43. That just doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, but it doesn't. Like, reevaluate your priorities because I get, I get that the thrill of fighting is so hard to give up, but if you're Fabricio Verdum, you know, what have you not accomplished as a heavyweight in the world of mixed martial arts? You're a former UFC heavyweight champion. That's the pinnacle of the sport. I don't know, I don't know what else you're looking for, but fighting four to five times a year, the PFL is not going to do it, dude. So, I mean, he's got a family. I would like to think that he would, you know, <laughs> consider them in this sort of situation. But <laughs> come on, man. Like, You're 43 like, years old. Like, uh, what are uh, we yeah. doing? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's – it's a problem. I'm not. I don't exactly agree with it, but hey, it's his life. He can, if he wants to get knocked out, go ahead, get knocked out. <laughs> but that's the uh, thing. Like, if he was, if he was fighting at a particularly high level uh, before this situation, that's fine. But he's lost two out of his last three. Yeah, he beat Alexander Gustafsson, but that was, you know, a situation where uh, Alexander Gustafsson was moving up in weight class. You never know what's going to happen there. He's lost, he's lost two of his last three. So he's a great he's a great fighter. He's a great fighter. I just don't necessarily agree with the fact that he wants to fight four to five times a year. That just doesn't really make sense to me at the age of forty three. Yeah, and that, that doesn't come together for me, man. But let's let's talk about uh, Juicier Formiga, released by UFC. Uh, he lost his last three. His last one coming up against Davison Figueredo uh, last year. I don't around mid year if I if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Formiga's getting older, and they need to figure some things out uh, with that flyweight division. You would like to see them keep a guy of his talent level around just because how thin that division is. Uh, but there was, there was really nothing left for him to, to really do in terms of stepping up. Uh, you know, he's, he's lost to just about everybody uh, that there is to lose to in that division uh, other than Davis and Figueredo when it comes to actual contendership. You know, Jose, or excuse me, Joseph Benavidez, uh, Brandon Moreno, and Alex Perez in three straight fights. That's that seems pretty legitimate when it comes to me. When they're looking for some people that can step in and be immediately legitimate title contenders, and he's lost to the top contenders in this division. Uh, you kind of hate to see it because he does have a win over Davis and Figueredo, uh, but it makes sense that they drop him from the roster. He's been there since 2012, and he's never really made a huge name for himself in this division. Definitely. Uh, one more thing I want to touch on. Uh, people calling for uh, Gina Carano to be fired uh, from the Mandalorian because she uh, is backing Trump's baseless claims of voter fraud. Uh, I mean, she's already, she's, she causes too much controversy on Twitter anyway with COVID. Her COVID, uh, what she would call it, her opinions on it. Uh, but yeah, um, people want her fired. I don't know if you saw this, but do you have anything to add? 
uh, Gina Carano is entitled to her opinions. Uh, that is <laughs> that is part of living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Uh, she's entitled to those by the United States Constitution. Uh, yeah, her uh, some of the things she's saying on Twitter are uh, are pretty fiery. Are, are pretty. Uh, I don't even know how to put it. Pretty. Uh, pretty. Pretty insightful. Not insightful with an S. That's insight, inciting, I should say, uh, with the CIT in that situation uh, because, you know, she's just out there riling people up on Twitter. You know, she's entitled to her political beliefs, as I said. She's entitled to believe what she believes. Uh, the election has been decided, uh, at least in my opinion. There's some things going on in the courts uh, that, that will officially decide it, but it does not seem like uh, from some of these preliminary findings that there is going to be any change in the election. Uh, Gina Carano obviously believes differently for me, uh, but nonetheless, she's entitled to, to express that on Twitter, which is a uh, which is a, an open source platform that everyone is entitled to use, as long as they do not use it to mislead or use it for you know hate speech, anything like that. Uh, yeah. Gina Carano, if, if she is misleading people on Twitter, then 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 that's that's a problem. But uh, she's entitled to to say what she wants. Uh, and once it gets to that point of misleading the public, then uh, then you're dealing with a problem. So uh, I'm not necessarily sure you fire her from the Mandalorian. Uh, she she is obviously uh, very active on social media and obviously is someone that believes very heavily in what she believes in. Uh, she's entitled to do that, as I've said multiple times. Uh, but it's it's just an interesting case. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily sure she should she should be fired, but uh, obviously there is something that needs to be. Uh, needs to be handled with that situation when it comes to her social media use uh, i would say by someone involved with uh with the production of that show uh before you know they bring her into the yeah. another season yeah they, they, they might need to uh sit her down put her in time out or something like that but hey at least her claims aren't as ridiculous as, as uh tito ortiz's uh call for recount in california even though by <laughs> I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one, Chief. That's, uh, we never talked about that. Uh, yeah, you, we uh, need to decide. We need to decide. That does not track in we, we, any we need way, to talk, shape, or form. We, we need to talk about this. So, yeah. I don't know if you heard, but Tio Ortiz was uh, uh, elected to the Huntington Beach City Council. And our man, Ed Stup, Dan Stupp, he, he called for a Zoom meeting, a live Zoom feed of the first city council meeting to watch what Tito Ortiz does. And I'm all for it. I don't know if you agree with me. I want to see what he says. I mean, if him saying they need a recount in California is the start of it, I'm all ears. What do you have to say? This is going to get so, so fun. So, so fast because Tito Ortiz uh, taking on a role on city council is <laughs> it, it sounds like something out of a bad TV sitcom. You know, you know, you see a commercial, it's like, you know, he's a formal, former mixed martial arts fighting champion of the world. And now he's coming back home after his successful career and he's running for city council, you know, like coming this fall on ABC starring <laughs> Tito Ortiz. It's not, it's, it doesn't seem real. <laughs> no, it, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. I mean. Again, like I said about Gina Carano, he's, he's perfectly entitled to run for public office, and he's chosen to do so, and he won. So, you know, more power to him. Uh, calling for a recount in California doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, <laughs> uh, 
you know, more power to him. He's, he's obviously sees something uh, in, in his community that he wants to improve, and he's doing it through, uh, through political office and through political action. So, you know, more power to Tito Ortiz. Good luck moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I gotta, I'll give it to him, you know. Um, he, he won an election, but if he's, if, he's, if he's calling for a recount in California, he, he needs to seriously reconsider his, his place yeah. on that city council. But I, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Do you have anything else? I got nothing for you. All right. That was, that was a good one. Uh, uh, thank you for coming back on, Daniel. Absolutely. All right, and we'll see you guys next time.